So unless you've been just recently rescued from 10 years on a deserted island, you will have noticed that the rate of technological innovation is actually accelerating exponentially. Devices that were considered uh, commonplace and in fact maybe even essential 10 years ago, uh, the list of those becoming redundant grows pretty much every week. For example, the camcorder is no longer considered cutting-edge technology or, in fact, necessary. Uh, the USB stick? Come on, Brett. That was, boy, that was early for you, man. You can start punching yourself in the face right now. And uh, even the uh, in-car sat-nav system, um, making companies like TomTom uh, less profitable. Having said that, whilst uh, some devices and technologies becoming redundant over the last 10 years, there's a whole new breed of things that are, that are coming uh, into our normal society these days that didn't exist 10 years ago. There's a whole new set of tan lines that uh, you would not have got on the beach 10 years ago. There are some new use cases for blind people's walking sticks that uh, wouldn't have been considered 10 years ago. And in fact, wind back even further, um, trying to prove to people that Jesus really did rise from the grave would have been easier if smartphones were around 2,000 years ago. Um, of course, the next thing that happened very uh, is uh, Jesus came running out of the, of the tomb and, and uh, they took the photo. But the next thing they did, obviously, I know you know this already, is they would have all gathered around and taken a selfie with Jesus because it's not just enough for Jesus to rise from the dead, but you have to make sure that your friends know that you were there. This whole selfie thing has taken on a, a, a life of its own. It wasn't even a word 10 years ago. Now it's in the dictionary. And uh, it's not enough just to have selfies, of course. There's a whole new breed. If you have a group picture, like Alan tends to do, they're called weefies. And uh, when you go to the gym or go for a run, like the girl in the open video did, you need to post a photo of that. And those are called healthies. And so, of course, here's a girl, hashtag healthies. She is, this is a very impressive feat, what she's doing. She's in a gym, in a spin class studio, on a bike that's not moving. And it's such an impressive feat that it warranted a healthy. What I figured out must be the motivation behind this sort of thing is if you don't take a photo of you working out, the workout never really happened and therefore you don't get the benefits. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Whilst Googling healthies to find many pictures, some of them boys do not look at, uh, and I found this particular gym, which uh, let me just say that... Uh, I'm not going to say whether or not joining this gym is a good idea. It, it really comes down to what your goals are. But let me just say that... That's epic fail. This week in Chicago, the American Psychiatric Association had their annual, annual conference and uh, they released uh, some of the reports that uh, were generated during the conference. I came across this one. The American Psychiatric Association has officially confirmed what many people thought all along. Taking selfies is a mental disorder. The disorder is called selfitis and is defined as the obsessive-compulsive desire to take photos of oneself and post them on social media as a way 
to make up. Wow, this is cutting. For the lack of self-esteem and to fill a gap in intimacy. APA said there are three levels of this disorder. Borderline self-itis, taking photos of oneself at least three times a day, but not posting them on social media. Acute self-itis, taking photos of oneself at least three times a day and posting each one of the photos on social media and then... Sucks to be you, chronic self-itis, uncontrollable urge to take photos of oneself around the clock and posting them on social media more than six times a day. No judgment, no judgment, no judgment. Now, I tweet, I Facebook, that's a verb, I Facebook, I, I am Instagram, uh, you know, but I wasn't actually what you would consider an early adopter of social media. Back in 2008, I would walk around our house, occasionally catch my wife, with her MacBook open and see the, uh, the uh, very uh, obvious graphic interface of Facebook. And I would walk past her, lift my nose, look derisively down it and say to her, oh, wasting more time again, are we? It didn't ever go well for me when I did stuff like that. I had some struggles. Um, but because I'm a pragmatist, I had to personally find some some uh, meaningful use cases before I would join in. I, you know, I, I, no one's necessarily looking for more stuff to do, to add, to layer upon layer in life. And uh, the first use case for me is, is just prior to 2008, for about a five-year uh, run of, of uh, my um, leadership, church leadership role, is I was traveling uh, extensively around the world doing various things. And in the course of that, I got to, 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 to get to know a lot of really great people. And uh, then my roles changed. I started leading in a local church setting, no longer traveling like I was. And uh, I discovered, being like goes on, that I could actually keep up a level, maintain a level of relationship with some of the friends I'd made around the world through social media. So I dipped my toe in, started a Facebook account, and uh, thankfully was the first Mark Pomery to do that. So I am slash Mark Pomery. Started using it for connecting with people, shrinking the world, really, is what it was able to do. It was fantastic. Since then, I've been able to discover, like many of you, that social media can be used for promoting causes, uh, sharing information. And these are, these are some of the bright sides of social media. Having said that, though, there's also a dark side to social media. I like to say social media is good, except when it's not. And there is a bright side, but there's also a dark side. Dark side, one of the most prominent dark sides is never in history have people had so much and yet wanted so much more. Last month, a university in Queensland uh, published a study that they conducted on depression, linking depression to social media. And in fact, they coined the phrase social comparison. It's a new thing. I'll come back to that. I'm not so sure it is a new thing. But then this week, reading one of my news feeds, came across a study conducted in the UK. UK, in the UK currently, male suicide rates are on the rise. On the rise in a somewhat unprecedented way. And in fact, outpacing the rise of female suicides in the UK. And so, as often is the case when something phenomenal starts to take place, researchers want to reverse engineer, find out what's going on. And in fact, in the UK, they, they linked this rise in male suicide rates to what they called social perfectionism. 
And, and, and they define social perfectionism in this way, not living up to what you believe people expect of you. It's, 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 it's a fascinating concept. Not, it, they didn't say social perfectionism is, is caused by not living up to what people expect of you, but by what you believe people expect of you. And so this morning, we're launching a new teaching series. No prizes for guessing what it's called. Hashtag struggles. We might just start calling it struggles and assume there's a hashtag uh, there. Um, and we're going to teach for five weeks around some struggles. And whilst the Bible doesn't have anything to say about social media specifically, it does have a lot to say about some of the struggles that technology and social media have brought to the forefront. People have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Next week, we're going to teach on relationships. Social media and technology has actually started to redefine some aspects of how we do relationships. There's a bright side and there's a dark side. We're going to spend the next week talking about compassion. We get so uh, overwhelmed with the amount of causes that social media now brings front and center that the statistic that I came across just yesterday uh, ranks uh, our compassion levels as being 40% lower than they were in the 1980s. So when we say I couldn't care less, we now mean that 40% more than we did 30 years ago. I do care less. And that's a problem. Our good friend Tanya Watson visiting this morning, she'll be preaching the following week on authenticity. Because uh, people are pushing so much stuff out in the public sphere and often getting unexpected responses, sometimes negative responses, it's, it's, it's affecting people's willingness to be vulnerable. And yet, if you don't have some people in your world that you can live in an unguarded way, the sort of people that you don't have to start a sentence with, don't tell anyone I said this. And I'm not talking about gossip, I'm talking about your, your life. And that's a problem if we, if we can't be authentic with some people in our life. And hey, fifth week, we're going to talk about rest. It's a precious and increasingly scarce commodity. Like money, social media is a great servant, but a terrible master. So we're not going to throw social media under the bus, but really, hopefully, over these five weeks, just look into some of what the Bible says about the stuff that's underlying the struggles. See, social media hasn't caused relational issues necessarily for the first time, but it's brought the issues in a more immediate fashion and in a more constant fashion. We live in an always-on society. You know those people who don't reply to your text message within 60 seconds of you sending it? Oh, I hate those people. So we're going to define some new rules of engagement around social media. But let me just note for the record, if you're not doing social media, if you're not into social media, that's fine. Uh, And you will get a lot out of these five weeks because they're not issues about social media. They're issues that we're going to teach on about the human heart that we all have in common. Social media is known as someone's highlight reel. We only share the stuff on the front stage. We don't share the stuff on the backstage. 
We, we, we take the picture on the date night, Jared, and, uh, and, but we don't, and we post that, but we don't post the photo of your wife telling you that you don't listen to her because you didn't hear her telling you that. We, don't, we post the photos of our kids' sporting achievements, but we don't post the photo of our kids chucking a tanty because they won't clean their room like you asked them to do. Social media is the front stage, and yet so often our lives feel like the backstage. And social media, you can now measure popularity thanks to social media. When I was growing up, which, yes, is a long time ago, Hopefully I still am, I guess, but uh, you couldn't measure popularity. I mean, the, the only time maybe, maybe was when we had that stupid thing of picking teams, you know, and the two coolest kids got to be the captains and then they went down the list till they got to the last loser. And, you know, so, you, oh, okay, if I have to, all right. I used to do that in the first series of MasterChef too, by the way. They've stopped doing that. I, I'm glad. It's not cool if you're the last person. Um, <laughs> it's all right. But now we can measure popularity. How many likes? How many retweets? How many shares? How many followers? How many friends? And we can, we can measure popularity. Does anyone use the clout app? Does anyone, does anyone have a clout score? Oh, I, oh, come on. Did not have well, let me tell you this. You have a clout score if, you ha- if you're on social media, but obviously you don't know it. Go to clout.com or download the app and you will find the ability to link your various social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Foursquare, YouTube, LinkedIn. You can link your Google+, Plus, but you might as well not bother because no one uses Google+. Um, and it will algorithmagically generate a cloud score out of 100, and it's dynamic. It actually gets measured in real time, and so your cloud score can go up and down by the minute, by the hour, by the day. And people, I don't know what sort of losers use this. People use this and measure their cloud score. Check their cloud score and hopefully see it trending up. If you have a cloud score above 50, like this sucker doesn't, you get sent free stuff from companies who are trying to tap influencers. I haven't paid for a razor blade for months. It's wonderful. Because I have a class score over 50. See, now, there's a bright side to it. It's actually a measure of influence. That's the bright side, right? But the dark side is it can be your own measure of your worth. And that's not cool. The truth is, the more we compare with others, generally speaking, the less satisfied we are because of who we compare ourselves to. Now, it's not actually that statement, the more we compare ourselves to others, the less satisfied we are, does actually have a couple of exceptions, right? Compare yourself to people who are living on the street. Compare yourself to people who don't have jobs. Compare yourself to people in Nepal right now, okay? typically doesn't make us feel worse about ourselves. Hopefully, actually, it would leave us feeling more grateful for what we have. So, you know, there's a place for comparison. I I even think there's a place for comparison when it comes to to looking to people who are ahead of us in areas that we want to actually move towards. 
You know, I, I read biographies and autobiographies and, and, and watch documentaries and, and follow certain people on social media in a hope that I can learn some stuff. And then I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to them and getting depressed, but hopefully inspired and instructed in some way. So there is a place for comparison. But obviously what we're talking about this morning is the dark side of comparison. A study last year was conducted on college students where they were asked to spend 30 minutes on Facebook. And at the end of the 30 minutes were asked to say in one word, what was the primary emotion they were feeling after this 30 minute Facebook binge. And the number one answer that the college students gave was envy. They were feeling envy. Now, social media hasn't created envy. You and I were comparing ourselves to people long before Zuckerberg had the bright idea of creating Facebook. You and I were comparing ourselves to one another long before Apple created the iPhone and Samsung copied it. We were comparing ourselves long before these things happened. They didn't cause comparison. They've just brought them front and center almost to an inescapable way, 24 hours a day. But... Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about envy and comparison. Let me just give you a few examples. Way back in the beginning, the second book of the Bible, in one of the top 10, the big 10, the 10 commandments we call them, one of them was this, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife or servant or maid or ox or donkey or car or flat panel television, or new shoes, or healthy. Comparison's not a new thing. Envy's not a new thing. Fast forward, Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived, said, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. Right, right at the end, one of the last books of the Bible, Jimmy, James, Giacomo wrote this. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throats. This is not a new thing. And I like this definition of envy. Resenting God's blessing in someone else's life and ignoring God's blessing in your life. It's really difficult to count your blessings when you're busy counting everyone else's blessings (laughs) and then shaking your fist at God. Some of the areas that we're envious, because envy, you know, I've said this from the platform more than one occasion, comparison kills contentment. Envy can lead to discontentment. And and here's some areas. Let me just hit these. And I I don't think, you know, these will shock anybody. We, We can be discontent in the areas of material possessions and financial things. In fact, often this is the one our mind shifts to when we start thinking about discontentment and comparison. You know, someone posts a picture of their brand new car. Tanya Watson, she just bought a brand new red Fiat 500 convertible. And that's not cool. Well, that note's cool, but she told me that's not cool because I want that car. And Tanya has it. It's not, it's not cool. Don't tell me these things, Tanya. It's not cool. 
Food porn. That's an expression now. Food porn. Hang on. Let me just take a photo of this meal. That You, know, we be, you don't take a photo of the disaster meals. Uh-uh. You take a photo of this burnt toasted cheese sandwich. Hashtag winning. No. Fail. When I see food porn on social media, my, my, my dirty little secret... Don't tell anyone. My dirty little secret. I don't typically look at the food. I can cook food. I get quite envious of the glamorous kitchens that I see in the background. (laughs) Double ovens. Jill Johnson should be ashamed of yourself. Double ovens. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've got a five hob cooktop that only two work. You know. I hate that. People post photos of their overseas holidays and some of us haven't even driven past Rockingham in the last decade. What about relational discontentment? Everyone you know is married and you're not. And by the way, just let me just say this publicly. Being single is not a disease. All right? Some, some places, you know, not, not married. You know. you know, if they give you this finger, you, you figure out the rest. You can retaliate. Being single is wonderful. It's, uh, it's a lot of blessings that come with that. Oh, how, yeah, yeah. how would you know, Mark? You're married. Yeah, I wasn't born married. <laughs> Serve God in unprecedented ways. You see pictures of people spending quality constructed time with their kids and your life seems to be consumed with just providing for your kids. It can lead to discontentment. See a picture of your married friends that don't have kids flitting from coffee shop to coffee shop with gay abandon. And you haven't had your hair out of a ponytail since 2005. And then there's circumstantial comparison that can lead to discontentment. It was really quick, so I appreciate if you didn't catch it, but this, this, this girl, and she's going to feature every week for these five weeks, this, this girl on social media, she's, she's gone and done the healthy and she's looked at her crappy sandwich and, and uh, she's taken the fake photo of her on a beach in front of her television. Um, the last line, and, and there's no actual confirmation of whether she posted it, but, I, but, I, but I'm guessing she probably didn't. The last line she wrote as the open video faded out is, my life isn't what I want it to be. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt that, thought that, said that, lamented that, circumstantial. See, because this is my point, is I think many of us have thought that. Some of you may be even thinking about that for your current season of life. You know what? My life isn't what I want it to be. And that's one thing. That's bad enough. And then you got people jamming these front stage highlight reel images in your face. So what's the antidote? Is there, you know, shall we just all move to a deserted island and leave our technology behind? Should we defriend Brett on Facebook? Yes. Um, block. 
uh, report as spammy post, uh, report to the FBI. I don't know. Anyway, Brett McPherson, if you're listening, they probably are. Oh, well, that's the end of my sermon. You just blew the <laughs> conclusion. Brett, I think if you keep yelling out, I'm going to have some struggles that are going to become your struggles. <laughs> I don't think those are the solutions. Quit social media. I mean, get on social media. Don't get on social media. I don't care, right? It's your decision. Take a fast every now and then. Yeah, it's probably a good thing. But, you know, if you don't, all right. Again, I'm not sure these are the, the solutions. This is the world we live in. Okay, we have technology, it's around us, it's, it's influencing us. We're interfacing at some level. So, is, this, is, there, is, is the Bible got anything to say about the solution? What, what, how, how can we navigate this high-tech world that's just normal? How, how can we navigate the social comparison that, that just washes over us one highlight reel post at a time? How can we navigate... Other people getting blessed when maybe we're thinking my life isn't what I want it to be. Paul, one of the early church heavyweights, wrote a letter to a, a church in a place called Philippi. And, and, and he gave them some very simple instruction that, that actually one of the problems is it's, it sounds too simple. You know, you know, sometimes, you know, just something sounds so simple that, that it doesn't sound profound because, like, you understand it. But actually, sometimes the simple solutions are the most profound solutions. It's a thing called Occam's Razor. You can Google it. So Paul wrote this very, very, very simple yet incredibly profound piece of instruction to this church in Philippi. He wasn't dealing with social media, obviously. They weren't dealing with technology, obviously. But, but, but he talked about the human heart with them, this issue that was not new then and it's not new now, and gave them the antidote against envy and comparison. And this is what he wrote. And, and by the way, backstory, he was writing this whilst in prison imprisoned for telling people about Jesus. Which, just for the record, he would have posted on social media because he was quite proud of the fact. He said, I can... He, he, he thought himself as, wow, you know, his faith stood the test. He didn't stop following Jesus when the handcuffs went on got more passionate. So this is what he wrote. Actually, in prison. And not, not some, you know, Hilton, you know, Pamelia Hilton kind of prison. It's like, but not cool prison. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. It's a pretty good place to be in, right? Meaning in your heart, not in prison, right? Right? I've learned by now, to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with this little, uh, with little as with much. With much as with little. 
I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry. See what he did there? It's good, I like that. Hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. We sing this. Jesus, I'm not going to sing it. You would have some auditory struggles if I did. We sing this, Jesus, all I need is you. A friend of mine posted that on Facebook as her status update the day after Andrew Chan and Maya Sukumaran were uh, killed. She put her Facebook status update was, you can have the whole world, give me Jesus. And, and here's the thing. I read that. And I thought to myself, like my, my reflexive thought, not my conscious, like the first thought that popped into my mind was, really? That's, that's weird. Well, just, just give me Jesus. This is my first thought. It, like, it lasted a millisecond. Now, I'm a professional Christian. I'm meant to love Jesus. I'm meant to tell you to love Jesus. I pay to tell you to love Jesus. I pay to tell you that all you need is Jesus. And yet my friend posts on Facebook, just give me Jesus. And my first thought was, weirdo. Not, 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 not that she's a weirdo, but like, because I like stuff. I like the stuff I have. I like it. Right? So I'm like, I, I, no, don't just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus and my Vespa and Tanya's Fiat 500 convertible. <laughs> if I sneak away early today, it's because I'm stealing Tanya's car from the car park. No, so, so okay, be honest. Now, just you. If, if you saw that post from one of your friends that just said, you can have the whole world, but just give me Jesus. What would you think? Don't judge me. I mean, I just told you what I thought. I thought a stupid thought. I thought, doesn't sound right. Give me Jesus plus, and then I had my list. Right? But this is the point. Paul, Paul's saying, he's not saying you can't have stuff. He's not saying he hasn't had stuff. He's not saying he's, he's always been starving, never had anything in his hands. He's, he's saying he's had some times where he's been full and, and sometimes when he's been hungry, sometimes when he's been free, sometimes when he's been in prison, sometimes when he's had stuff, sometimes when he hasn't had stuff. Circumstances change, don't they? Seasons change. Some seasons are mountaintops. Some seasons are valleys. Some seasons last a long time. Some seasons are fleeting. We like the, 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 the mountaintop seasons to last a long time, and we like the valleys to be fleeting. But life doesn't always work that way, does it? Well, at least mine doesn't. If yours does, then maybe you should be up here and I should be down there listening to you. Paul's saying, you know, that's the reality of life. Circumstances are going to change. There are going to be seasons of abundance. There's going to be seasons of lack. There's going to be seasons of blessing. There's going to be seasons of struggles. But if we put our contentment in circumstances, if we, we put our contentment in stuff, if we put our contentment, then our contentment's going to come and go. It's going to wane. It's going to ebb and flow. It's going to be, we're going to be really content sometimes and really discontent other times. And so Paul says, you know, 
Just like, you know, because he's writing this to, to humans. By the way, I know it says James chapter 3, verse 16 up there. And uh, I, it's not actually James chapter 3, verse 16. It's uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So I'd like to blame someone for that error, but it was me. <laughs> oh, let's blame the youth. Okay, then. <laughs> That's our throwaway line because actually we love our youth and we don't blame them. It's, wish we could. Youth can't even type. Stupid youth. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Thanks, Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott did that. <laughs> Thanks, Tony Abbott. It's Philippians, Tony Abbott. Um, real simple. I'm finished. I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. All I need is Jesus. Throw the next slide up there, Riley. Contentment isn't found in who follows us. It's found when we follow Jesus. So simple, yet so profound. So I'm going to ask you a question right now as we finish. Are you following Jesus yet? And if you're not, I'm going to give you an invitation to do that right now, to make that next step now, to take that on, to say, I'd like to have, I need to have, I want to have, I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus from this day forward. If you've never made that decision, in a moment, I want you just to slip your hand up, just quickly, you slip your hand up, I'll see your hand, you can put your hand down, and we're going to pray. But putting your hand up is just, you're saying to God, hey, that's my decision today. I want to I st- start following Jesus from today. So real quickly, let me just look around our auditorium a couple of times. If you haven't ever made that decision before, then my encouragement to you now is to make the decision to start following Jesus. Just put your hand up if that's you to, today to make that decision. You're saying, yep, when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray.